Good morning. The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. I will read chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Loving God, you have so made us that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food, satisfy our daily need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. During his long career, Fred Rogers treasured his relationship with his young audience. Over the course of nearly four decades on television, Mr. Rogers received letters from thousands of viewers, and he responded to each one. When he needed help to do this, he never let the responses go out without reading and signing each one. Hedda Sherapin was the person who helped him to respond to the letters, and she found that he had a method in writing back to his viewers. When the letter he received was from a child, he often wrote a response not only to the child, but also to the child's parent. And when a parent wrote to him, his response would often include something also for the child. Mrs. Sherapin also found that though the letters were about many and varied themes, a very common theme he received from his young viewers had to do with their desire to know if he was for real. <laughs> Mr. Rogers, are you for real? Or are you under a mask or costume like Big Bird? For my birthday wish, I want to know if you are for real. The letter was signed by five-year-old Timmy. Mr. Rogers wrote back saying, Dear Timmy, I am a real person, just the way you are. There are some things on television that aren't real, the monsters and scary things. Your television set is a special way that you can see the picture of me and hear my voice. I can't look through the television set to see or hear my television friends, but I think of them whenever we make our television visits. One person wrote to Mr. Rogers, remembering that 
when an episode ended, he used to run around to the back of the TV set and would cup his hands under the television, hoping to catch Mr. Rogers as he came out. <laughs> Perhaps one of the letters that made Mr. Rogers laugh most and yet take very seriously was from the father of a little boy named Isaac. Dear Mr. Rogers, while putting my son to bed last night, he said, Mr. Rogers doesn't poop. <laughs> I said that of course, he, uh, of course you did. He denied it vehemently. I asked where his certainty came from, and he said, well, I've never seen him poop. I pointed out that there were lots of people he hadn't seen poop, and they all still did. He accepted that others did, but denied it about you. I kissed him goodnight and left the room. Five minutes later, I was summoned to his bedside. Daddy, I know Mr. Rogers doesn't poop. How? I asked. Because I have seen his house, and he just has a closet, a living room, a kitchen, and a yard. <laughs> Friends, I know you want to hear Mr. Rogers' response, both to Isaac and his father, but I have to stop talking about Mr. Rogers now so that we can talk about Jesus. <laughs> As you can imagine, Mr. Rogers assures Isaac that he is real and that, like all real people, he does all the basic things that real people do. And as one who was one of his young television viewers, when I think about Mr. Rogers, while I do indeed remember some of the content of what Mr. Rogers spent time showing us, what I remember most is how Mr. Rogers made me feel. He was so present, so present that even through the television set, he made children feel seen and heard, understood and valued. So many of the letters he received were from children who were trying to grasp if the person whose presence they felt so keenly was for real. And so many of the responses he wrote showed that he could see both the child and, out of the eyes of the child, the world as the child saw it. One of the things that writer Maya Angelou said was, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. I've been thinking about this. It's something that one of my mentors told me when he was reflecting on his ministry as a ministry of presence. When I think about him, I do indeed think about how he made me feel. I've been thinking about this idea more and more these days because I think this kind of presence is more and more in short supply. Too often we go through life with an efficiency and optimization mindset. It's rare these days to feel like you can have a conversation with someone without first scheduling a time to talk. When I was a parent of a young child, my favorite times of the day were the times I brought and picked up Sophia from school. 
the school allowed a space for parents to linger. And despite how busy all these parents must have been, we lingered. And it was never a waste of time. It was the time when community had the potential to be built, when we had the potential to practice presence. You never knew what you would witness or with whom you would end up having a conversation. You never could anticipate how one thing would lead to another and then to another, all because you showed up. And as my child got older and parents had to use the car line, that potential was lost. Could it be that the kingdom of God depends on this act of being present to one another? When Jesus began his ministry saying, the kingdom of God has come near, the first thing he did was to begin building community. Mark tells us that as Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he happened to see Simon and Andrew working. They were on their boats, casting their fishing net into the sea. He also saw James and John at work, mending their nets. He called out to them, come on, let's go fish for people. And they went with him, becoming his first disciples. About eight years ago, when I visited the Sea of Galilee for the first and only time thus far, I was suddenly struck with the realization that Jesus was real. He had really been present in that place, walking, sitting, talking on the seashore where I was, looking out, feeling the sand beneath me, Breathing in the sea air, I felt his real presence. And I wondered what it must have felt like for Simon and Andrew, James and John, all of his disciples, and the people he encountered to be in his presence. Can you imagine what it felt like for the woman who, having suffered 12 years from hemorrhages and was cast aside as unclean, thought to herself that without anyone noticing, she would just touch the hem of his cloak with the hope of being healed. When Jesus did notice her and truly saw her. Can you imagine how the woman at the well felt? when having come to draw water at a time when she could avoid the gaze of others, encountered Jesus, who in the course of conversation with her, saw her for who she truly was? How must Zacchaeus have felt when Jesus went to his house and had dinner with him? How must the children have felt when Jesus saw them and said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Surely each of these people were struck by how Jesus made them feel, as seen and heard, understood and valued. 
We often think of Jesus' ministry, or at least I do, as one of teaching and reforming, healing and performing miracles. Even in his day, people wondered if he was a prophet, a revolutionary, a political messiah. For centuries, the church has been trying to figure out how this man could have made such an impact on the world. Today, I want to contemplate the possibility that Jesus was as impactful as he was because of the way he saw people and made them feel. Jesus saw the world as God saw it. He saw it as God's kingdom in which each person is made in the image of God. This was radical. It is still radical in our day when groups of people are vying for recognition and feeling invisible and unheard and undervalued. They are using politics to be recognized. And moreover, Jesus saw the world as each person saw it. So valuing each person, he understood their perspective. Even when he was critical of the way they saw the world, even when he said to them, go and sin no more, they nevertheless felt seen by him and valued by him. It's not easy to see the world as someone else sees it. It's really hard, actually, because each of us sees the world in our own unique, never-to-be-repeated way. This is what journalist and writer David Brooks says in his newest book, How to Know a Person. As a journalist and pundit, David Brooks has spent most of his life trying to understand the world by making generalizations about groups, and while he thinks Sociological data and theories have some merit. He lately has become more convinced that making generalizations about groups does not help us to understand humanity and does not alone build up the health of a society. Nothing, he thinks, can replace getting to know humanity person by person. And so he writes this book on the art of seeing others deeply, on how we can practice presence. A lot is at stake in practicing presence, he writes. I've come to believe that the quality of our lives and the health of our society depends to a large degree on how well we treat each other in the minute interactions of daily life. Without being present to one another, accompanying one another, witnessing the world through another person's eyes, we cannot do the slow work of establishing communities of trust. Among the many things that discipleship might entail, at the core, it entails this slow work of establishing trusting relationships. The practice of presence lies at the heart of any healthy family, school, church, community, and society. It lies at the heart of the kingdom of God. Practicing presence 
Accompaniment is not easy. If I take lessons from playing the piano, I know that accompaniment requires careful listening, patience, and pacing. I cannot be willful as an accompanist, and I must trust that when musicality of others is added to my own, something more beautiful than I anticipated will result. You know how to practice presence. You do it when, as a host, you anticipate the needs of your guests. You do it when, as a friend, you spend time being a good listener. You do it when, as a teacher, you tell your student the strengths you have observed in him, just as David did to the children today. You try to do it day in and day out as a parent. <laughs> in a world of nearly 8 billion people, the more we practice presence, the more we see the world through the eyes of others, the more we will become aware of a multitude of perspectives. Surely some of these will contradict one another. Today we live in a social climate in which people have difficulty seeing and understanding one another. Public life has become more bitter and less trusting. It is not healthy. We see signs posted at airports, hospitals, and other public places that remind us to act with civility and self-control. Have you noticed those signs? We hear announcements on airplanes that abusive behavior toward flight attendants and other passengers are prosecutable offenses. These are all signs of how unhealthy our society has become. Drawing on psychoanalysts and therapists, David Brooks writes that health is the ability to hold opposite truths, contradictions, and paradoxes in the mind at the same time without the need to wrestle them into some linear order. Health is the ability to see things from multiple perspectives, to stand in the spaces between realities without losing any of them. The health of a community can never be taken for granted. It is what the Apostle Paul expends his energy vigilantly guarding. It is what Jesus invites us to continue working for when he says, the kingdom of God is near. It is near, but not yet. And yet, as fleeting as it is, we can feel it. Whenever we are present to one another, whenever we see another deeply, or feel seen by them. Whenever someone has accompanied us for however brief a distance on our life journey, we feel the nearness of God's kingdom. Amen.